Amen and amen. Who thought you'd be watching football in a church service? It's a, a video that gives us a little bit of a snapshot of what we're going to explore this afternoon, and that's teamwork makes the dream work. Amen? And that's a, a phrase that was coined by uh, a... Yeah, it was coined by John Maxwell about 20 years ago when he wrote one of his books on leadership. And so we are continuing our series this afternoon, Many Parts, One Body, and the title of the sermon is Teamwork Makes the Dream Work. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're continuing Paul's words to his church there in Corinth. Last week we explored examining God's purpose, and so today we're going to take that adventure forward in understanding our role in and through the body of Christ and how we can make a telling and tangible contribution, recognizing that we ultimately have a role to play. But what exactly is teamwork? If I were to ask you to surmise in your own heart and life, what is teamwork? Actually, it's on display every single day in your life, with your family, with your friends, in your social circles, with your work colleagues. There is a measure of teamwork. But what exactly is the dream? The dream is to become the best possible disciple and disciple maker of Jesus Christ that you can with all that God has given you. All the deposits, all the talent, all the gifts and all the ability. We fundamentally accomplish more together as a team than you ever will as an individual. And that cuts across the culture of today's society that dictates and determines that it's me, myself and I it's what I need, what I feel I want, and what I feel I can achieve in my life. I always ask the question, did Jesus need his disciples? It's a theological question. People, yes, no, maybe so. Ultimately, he did not. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus paid the price. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again on the third day. Jesus is sat victorious at the right hand of the Father. None of the disciples did that, but he chose relationship. He chose teamwork. He chose collaboration with a whole bunch of men that would be considered a motley crew in today's society. From different cultures, different backgrounds, different levels of education, they were not all churned out at a local boarding school. Thank God for diversity in the body of Christ. Amen? Take a look around. Say hi to the person next to you. Seriously. Thank God for diversity. But for us to achieve our potential individually and corporately, we must recognize our fears. We must challenge and deepen our trust in one another. We must learn not just simply to count on one another, but to rely on one another. It's insufficient to just assume the person sitting next to you in the church service will be in the same seat next week. That's lazy Christianity, intentional Christianity, genuine teamwork, real collaboration, determines you will know before today the person will be in that seat. Why? You've built the relationship. The teamwork exists. The trust is forged. Amen? And so you need to start by asking yourselves the question, what's hampering you being part of a, a winning team? You should write that down. What is hampering or hindering you from becoming part of a winning team? 
It's not difficult to build team, but I'm talking about a successful, Christ-centered, winning team that will fulfill its ultimate goal and mission. Because, you know, we can gather in teams all the time. I was at Wembley yesterday for the football. I didn't care for either team, but it was a pleasure to go and watch them play. And people gather all the time for football, politics, relationships. In loads of different arenas, people will gather. And often it's not even communicated that you've just built team. But if there's no goal, if there's no destination, and there's no decisions that are taken that are in line with that goal or destination, then all you have is a flimsy gathering of friends. There's nothing intentional. There's nothing that forces the agenda, takes you forward, and where your friends will stand with you and help you to become the best disciple of Jesus you can be. And you know those friends? They will be the ones that tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. So now I ask you, who's on your team? In your own life, I want you to think about the last time you had a serious and significant challenge. Perhaps a relative died. You lost your job. Something substantial went wrong. Who did you turn to? You should write that down. And why? Because the natural thing is we'll go to the person who we think is most available. Being most available doesn't mean that they're the person best positioned to help you in that moment. Well, they're the most understanding. Why? Because they're the most tolerant of your sin? They're the most engaged with the world? No. Sometimes we need to go to our hardest soldiers, the people that will challenge us to be the best that we can be. Why? Because that's when we start to grow. And that's when we start to add to the team. That's when we start to make a difference in and through our own lives. Because, you know, when we learn to count on each other, we win. Not I, not you. We win as a group, as a team. But the biggest hindrance in this area is the spirit of comparison. Do you find yourself comparing yourself one to another? It happens whether we accept it or acknowledge it or not. It's irrelevant. You can continue to lie to yourself in that arena, or you can start to take some intentional steps towards wholeness and freedom. We subconsciously compare ourselves. Well, what do you do for work? I'm a stockbroker. Oh, well, I work in this arena. Oh, so then you roughly know where your salaries are at. We do it. Where do you live? I live in Notting Hill. Where do you live? I don't know. Somewhere else. Oh, Notting Hill's a nicer area. We do it all the time. You know why? We fear insecurity. We fear being insufficient to be part of a winning team. Friends, if we want to move forward, in this area. If we want to become the best that we can be, we need to overcome our fears. We need to break beyond the limitations that we've erected in our mind, in our heart, so that we are insufficient, we are inadequate, we are unstable, we have nothing to offer because somebody next to me may have something more to offer. No, you have something to offer. The question is, what are you doing with what God has given you? Have you thought about that? Willingness, obedience, Service, sacrifice, these are kingdom-centered principles that we need to not just adopt, but we need to demonstrate in our own lives here. So let's read 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 17. I will read the ESV translation. We're continuing from verses 10 through 14 last week. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. 
If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, would that make it not any less part of a body? If the ear should say, I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, were there, would there be any sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, would there be any sense for smell? Can I say something really clear today? We need you. You have a contribution to bring to the body of Christ. For some of you, you don't believe me. Because our lives have been dulled and dented by challenges and circumstances, disappointments, perceived failures that have eroded our ability to see ourselves for who we truly are. You know that you are his son, you are his daughter, in whom he loves and whom he is well pleased. He knows you. He calls you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And he is intricately and intimately interested with every single part of your life. And some of you don't accept that either. We need to break ourselves out of the fear. Break beyond the walls of our limitations in our own hearts, in our own minds, thinking, well, things will always be this way with mom and dad. Things will always be this way in my marriage. Things will always be this way at my workplace. No, they will only be that way if you allow them to continue to be that way. You know that you're a change agent right where God has placed you, yeah? You're aware of that. The same power that conquered death, hell, sin, and the grave lives inside you, and you can't change your circumstances. So was Paul's comments in Philippians 4.13 wrong? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the preceding two verses tell us that he learned what it was to live with nothing. He learned what it was to have full sufficiency. For him, it was immaterial because he had Christ. He was on the winning side. So if that's true for Paul, who wrote this, then it's surely true for you. The question is, do you believe it? And if you do, are you taking decisions in your life that are in line with that belief? Because faith without works is dead. Amen? So Paul is showing us very clearly here that adopting a view that the foot thinking it is useless without the hand is ultimately irrelevant. Ultimately, our entire body is a collection of intricate, intentional parts that God fashioned together into one body. Nobody would be able to function or operate if you all became an ear, or you all became a nose, or you all became a foot. And yet, ultimately, it's all about unity. And when we think about the gospel, what is the gospel? It is unity for us with the Father. If we fail to demonstrate unity, if we fail to embrace our togetherness and collaborate one with the other, then the body of Christ will not grow, will not flourish, and people that don't yet know Jesus are going to look at a disfigured, distorted body and think that that's the representation of Jesus. And yet Jesus is spotless. He's perfect. He's whole. And he made us whole. So we need to take some steps forward in our own journey. So we need to avoid the pitfall of permissioning ourselves to walk in separation from one another. And we do it subconsciously. Sometimes we do it intentionally. Denominations, ministry streams. I mean, if we think about the Church of Jesus Christ today, you've got Roman Catholic, Episcopalian, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Church of England, Baptist, Seventh-day Adventist. And those are the ones I can think off the top of my head. All trying to segment or dissect 
the, the body of Christ into different parts. But actually, together as a whole, it's 3.7 billion people in the world. Think about the enormity of 3.7 billion people on fire for Jesus. I mean, London is saved tomorrow morning, right? But we need to choose how we want to move forward. Paul is showing us here that we need to actively and consistently promote unity through diversity. But we need to understand the value of teamwork. We will never take intentional steps towards teamwork if we don't see the value in it. So some verses that will help us on our way. Acts 2. We all know Acts 2 well. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Why? They were all together in the upper room doing what? One thing, praying. That's unity right there. What happens? Power of the Holy Spirit falls. So there is a need for us to be together, not just physically, but in alignment with one purpose. In this example, prayer. What about Psalm 133, verse 1? How great and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Perhaps one that we all know well, Proverbs 27, 17. As one piece of iron sharpens another, so friends keep each other sharp. And so I want to ask a question for your consideration today. What's the biggest dream on your heart? If I was to invite you up, give you a microphone, five minutes. What would you say? What would you include in those five minutes? And what would be absent in those five minutes? So often we focus on what we want to say and we forget about the things that maybe we shouldn't say that we end up saying and vice versa. But you know, when you're dreaming your dreams, do you know what you're actually dreaming? You're dreaming God's dreams that he's placed inside you. They're not your dreams. Your dream to get married, your dream to buy a house, your dream to have kids, all those things, children, sorry. Those are God's dreams for you. Have you considered the enormity of God fulfilling every dream in your life? Do you know what I dream for? I dream for every member of the body of Christ operating to the full capacity of what God has placed within them. Where every person that I ever encounter in this building, outside of this building, knows who they are in Christ, knows what God has placed within them, is utilizing and maximizing their gifts to the full potential, not just on Sundays or between services or at Easter and Christmas, every moment, in every day. Imagine what that would look like. You saw a video there. These are the best of the best of the best of the players, football players in the world. These guys are at the upper echelons of the footballing world. And they play football day and night, night and day, to get to that point. And that's how they're able to achieve what they do. And I wonder if we took that sort of discipline, that sort of motivation, we demonstrated that level of integrity, that level of resilience, where would we get in the equivalent in fulfilling the mandate that we have in the body of Christ. Two key elements are necessary, discipline and consistency. Don't associate doing a lot with getting more done. Use the word busy. We're always busy. Doing what? Doing the things of God, I hope. And there will always be fruit. And this is part of the problem for us as Christians is we struggle with teamwork 
because we like to work it alone because we think we know best. And if you want any evidence of whether you think you know best, write down the last five disappointments you had and ask yourselves how many of them was God involved in? If you're really honest, it's kind of maybe involved in one or two. God knows best for your life. That's an irrevocable truth. And we need to discover that ultimately when we're doing God's purpose, we are helping fulfill the wider remit of the team. So how powerful do you think teamwork is in your own lives? When you think about at home, you think about in your workplace, you think about in your cell group, when everyone is working together, you just fundamentally achieve more. But if everyone starts going off in their own tangents and directions, the power and the intimacy of everything being pulled together starts to dissipate very quickly and it starts to fragment. And all of a sudden, the sum of the total parts is less than if we were all together working in one place. Which brings me to the point about the spirit of comparison, which we find ourselves challenged in this area because we want to be the best at everything all the time. That's a, that's a natural disposition. And the humbling reality is that we are going to have to accept that there are going to be people next to us, in front of us, behind us, that are fundamentally more gifted than us in certain areas. And you know what? That's okay. Because it's not about you. This is part of the problem for us as Christians. We make our lives about us. And we think that somehow, if we are just doing what we think God is calling us to do, that God is going to be pleased with that. And that's why so many of us are disappointed. Because we think God is involved in everything in our lives, and yet we gave him no visibility of anything at any point. God will only bless you, bless what he's called you to do. God will not bless the things that he has not asked you to do. And too often in our Christian world, we tiptoe into the remit and responsibilities that God has, or we jump right in, and then we get upset and frustrated when God closes the door. Why? Because you're stealing his glory. Maybe, maybe if we just allowed ourselves to do what we know God has called us to do and only do that and let God do the rest, we would start to see his glory manifest in our lives a little bit more. We would start to see teamwork on display in our lives a little bit more. You should never be playing catch up with the destiny of God in your life. If you find yourself running after things or people or situations to try and catch up with what you sense God is calling you to do, you're not in God's will for your life. And you're starting to strive for things that ultimately should come to your place. Nothing is more effective than teamwork. Don't overstretch. Don't overcommit. Know what you need to do and leave the rest to God. The spirit of comparison is a thief. It will steal your focus, erode your joy, and diminish your perspective. You are you. And I thank God that you are who you are. Because there's going to be people in this world that only you can reach. Have you thought about the enormity of the responsibility that God has given you just with that piece of data and fact? I mean, that should catapult us into higher levels of grace, deeper levels of trust, but also stir up a passion and a zeal to fulfill the plan and purpose that God has laid on our hearts. Which brings me to my next point. God is not impressed by your gifting. Uh -uh. That might be a humbling reality for some of us. You know what God is impressed by? Your heart. Your heart. The gifting he gave you. So how can God be impressed by something he gave you? He's impressed by your heart. 
And your backstage will determine your front stage. David killed the lion and the bear privately. That enabled him to kill Goliath publicly. So, two areas that I want to cover briefly about being part of a team. It is not always easy, but it is always worth it. Number one, you're going to be criticized. Half of us checked out. If you think that being part of a team is going to be easy all the time, that it's going to be hunky-dory, there's never going to be any challenges, never going to happen. Criticism happens. Read Judges 8 verse 1. It is impossible to please everyone all the time. Don't attempt to fall into that trap. Jesus didn't try to, and people hated him. I mean, look at it. You know, <laughs> they're, no, they're, they're calling him holy, holy. They're loving him. Three days later, they're calling for his head. Criticism. You will be criticized in your leadership. You'll be criticized in part of a team. You'll be criticized for the decisions you make and the decisions that you don't make. And the purpose of criticism is paralysis, is to stop you fulfilling whatever it is that God has called you to do. Second area to consider. In teamwork, you will be disappointed. Have you ever done those group projects at uni? You know where there's like six of you on a team, three of them do nothing, two of you kind of do all the work, and one person kind of oversees some stuff, yeah? And then you get the grade back, and it's a team grade. And you're like, why was I with this guy and this woman? You know, you start muttering and complaining. Teamwork makes the dream work. You should have motivated them more. But the challenge is you're going to go through disappointments being part of a team. It's going to happen. Jonah 4, verses 1 to 5. Read it in your own time. Nineveh wants Jonah destroyed. And there are four stages to disappointment. Number one, you will blame God. Yes, you will. It's exactly what Jonah did. Number two, you will get angry. Sometimes, in the moments of disappointment, the miracle is to keep on keeping on. To go past your feelings, to master your emotions, and to keep on keeping on. Number three, you will find yourself stop praying. Prayerlessness will develop in your life because you think, what's the point? Because you're disappointed. Every decision, once you get to the point where you're disappointed, every decision after that is predicated on the fact that you are already disappointed. Number four, you will find yourself withdrawing. That's exactly what Jonah did. You'll start to move away from the plan, the purpose, the will, the destiny that God has for you. And you will justify your actions all the time because you're disappointed. And yet, look at David in the scriptures, surrounded by three or four thousand men, I, I forget, of his own men. And they were what? Disappointed. What did David do? He, quote, stirred himself up in the Lord. That's the miracle. That's leadership. And that's what helped that team win. That's what you're called to do as a leader here in KTLCC, to stir yourself up, to rise beyond disappointment, disillusionment, failure, and fear, and fulfill the plan and purpose that God has for you. Your contribution Part of the team is mandatory. This is not an invitation. This is not an RSVP if you're interested. Your contribution is mandatory. Paul makes it very clear. He's addressing the body of Christ. If you're a Christian here today or watching online, by definition, you're part of the body of Christ, which means that your contribution is mandatory. You need to respond intentionally, engage properly, and contribute. 
Avoid the pitfall of competing with others under the guise of serving. Your role, your job, is to become the best expression of God's goodness and God's grace in your life. How are you doing with that? Sometimes that's harder than we think in our lives because we find the challenges. We find situations invading our lives where joy has been replaced by anger, where moments of victory have been replaced by perceived failure. And that's what we think the next season starts to look like for our lives. You know, when you go on a journey with Jesus, he never promises it will be easy, but he does promise it will be worth it. And we have to be able to rise up beyond the circumstances, not to allow the external to affect the internal. Let God be God. Continue to play the role and purpose that God has given us. Serve because you want to serve, not because you have to serve. Intentionally commit to contributing to the body of Christ. I mean, when I try and envisage it in my own life, it really humbles me that there could be people walking around London today and the only person that is meant to reach them with the good news is me. And I'm thinking like, what have I done about that? Who are they? Where are they? How do I connect with them? All these thoughts, it's not false humility or false guilt. I'm stirred up. I'm like, I want to find them. Like, where are they? What bus are they on? What train are they sitting in? What store are they standing in right now? Why? If I do my bit, you do your bit all the way down the line, the body of Christ working as a team, you know what happens? Success. Not success measured by the world or what you think success is, that maybe your paycheck or where you live. Success as measured by God. You know, when we get to those pearly gates, he's going to say, enter good and faithful servant. Faithfulness. Goodness. It's not about you. It's about your journey, your service as part of the team. And as you serve on team, you know what you do? You build trust. You build deeper relationships with one another. You start to break out of all the hindrances from your history pages of your life that have hampered you and distorted God's ability to work in your life where somebody hurt you 20 years ago, now you don't trust anyone. And because of that, you're not walking in God's goodness. You're not walking in God's grace. Remember, you're serving God and not man. Don't allow yourself to start thinking that you're fulfilling a man-made vision. You're fulfilling God's call, God's plan for your life. Become the greatest expression of the Father's love. Labor because you want to labor. Serve because you want to serve. Enter the Father's joy and hold firm to what is eternal and reject the things that are temporary and fading in this world. And here's another humbling thought. Ignoring this or running away from God's plan is not going to cause God's plan to stop. You are aware of that. I did that for years. I was running and running and running. And the thing is, the whole world is the, is the Lord's. There's no way you can hide that he doesn't know. And eventually, you're left with two options. You will either obey and honor God and, and, and do what God has called you to do, or you won't. There's no middle ground. There's no great area. There's no, I'm kind of in God's will. You're either in God's will or you're not. And if you're in God's will, you will have fullness of joy. It's a fact. It's a biblical fact. And you place your trust where your trust has been earned, in God and in God's word. And too often for us as Christians, we start to throw our trust and place it in all these different places and people, and they let us down. And then we wonder why we're disillusioned, why there's division, why we're disappointed. 
It's always easier not to do something than it is to do it. Get out of your comfort zone, friends. Trust God's promises. Be obedient to his voice in your life. God is calling you upwards and forwards. Immerse yourself into the body of Christ today. It's not about achieving what you think is comfortable or convenient, but it is about committing to completing what he has called you to with conviction and confidence. As you do that, you will understand the purpose of God in your life. So I ask the question again, what does your team look like? Would you, be want, would you want to be part of your team, objectively speaking? Does it breed trust? Does it demonstrate unity? Does it ask the hard questions? Does it confront and challenge one another? Otherwise, if it doesn't do any of these things, by the way, do you know what you have? You have a holy huddle. That's what you got. You got a nice holy huddle. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? God bless you too. Amen, I'll see you next week. Boring, boring. That is not what Jesus died for. Jesus died for total transformation of our lives. He died for our sins. The old has gone, the new has come. It is no longer I, but it is Christ who lives in me. That is transformation. He came for transformation. And friends, if we want the dream to work and the dream being the body of Christ fully alive, fully aligned and working towards the plan and promises of God, the only way that that works is if we all rise up as one, as one, where there's no division, there's no politics, there's no sense of my gift is more important than yours. No, celebrate and champion the fact that other people have different gifts to you. We should be falling over ourselves to help one another achieve what God has called them to achieve. Why? Because it was never about you in the first place. It's about the wider body of Christ. And you are just a clog, a component, a value, a purpose, a person. But you are needed because without you, that whole part doesn't function. But with you, it does. But that causes, calls us to go beyond the individualistic self-centered, consuming society that we live in today, and that's just in the church, where we serve because we want to serve. And if you want an example of that, you only have to look at Jesus. He had walked with his disciples for like three and a quarter, three and a half years. Like every day, these guys were running around with Jesus. They saw him sleep, eat, walk get on a donkey, everything. You would think that they would have learned something about teamwork. And what are they doing? Arguing which one of them is the greatest. Can't get my head around it. Why? They were still fleshly. They hadn't captured in their heart what Jesus had been trying to teach them for three or more years. Service, sacrifice, commitment, conviction, where you choose to say, I see the treasure, the gold, the talent, the gift, the ability that God has placed in you, 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 and you. How can I help you fulfill that? How can I help you achieve that? Why? Because you know what happens? It's exactly what Paul ended up doing. Whether it was with Silas, whether it was with Timothy, 
He trained them. He took them on the adventure when he went on mission trips. He took them with them. So he didn't just give them intellectual theology for them to read in some classroom somewhere. He took them on the journey so they could see what ministry looked like. And so when they started to rise up, they started to fulfill everything that God had called them to do. They were fulfilling God's plan and purpose for their lives. That's good leadership. That is teamwork. So demonstrate teamwork. And so my final questions for us as we draw our time to a close this afternoon is what have you written down? When you reflect in your own hearts and lives about the disappointments, the teamwork, the lack of teamwork, the moments maybe where you want to do things your way and only your way, how's that working out for you? The moments where life just caves in on you, the rubber hits the road. You don't know where to turn. You don't know who to turn to. What feelings, what emotions are being stirred? Where does your trust, where does your alignment, where does your confidence point you in the direction of who and of what? We're going to need each other, friends. There's no hiding place from that. And this is an opportunity for us today to examine and evaluate our own hearts and lives about why we do what we do, about what our contribution is, about refining our own sense of teamwork. You know, it's all about rising up together as one. And I've seen it. Honestly, I've been here in this church for 15 years, whether it's going on homeless outreaches, men's encounters, cell group gatherings, one-day encounters. I could give you example after example after example of people when they collaborate they work together in tandem and synergy, the power of God that operates in those moments than 20, 30 individual parts. The same people are in the room, but less is achieved. And there's no sense of hierarchical, so, no sense of spiritual hierarchical structure. Jesus, the greatest person to ever walk the face of the earth, washing the feet of his own disciples. That's leadership. That's highlighting teamwork. And so my final questions for you is, what change do you need to make in your life today in order for you to have really two outcomes, to become part of a team, whether it's in a cell group, a volunteer team, whatever, in order for you to help make the dream work? Because otherwise, my friends, two things will happen. You will continue to live in disappointment or you will continue to live in fear. Not God's plan, not God's purpose. If you choose to adopt some changes to your life with everything that I've shared today, fear is replaced by faith and disappointment is replaced by anticipation of how God is going to use you. Not if, but how God is going to use you in this season. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, I'm going to invite us to stand this afternoon and I'm going to pray for us and then the worship team are going to join me on the platform as we draw our time to a close this afternoon. So right where you are, why don't you stand and perhaps reflect for a moment. You can close your eyes and reflect on some of what I've shared and think about some of the things that are blocking you. Perhaps it is disappointment, it's criticism, it's fear. Failure, inadequacy, there's something 
hindering and hampering what God is wanting to release and do in your life. And so, Father, I pray for every person here, every person watching on KTTV. Lord, would you release right now wholeness and healing into people's hearts? Would you help us, Lord, to work and serve as a team, that we would celebrate unity, we would celebrate diversity, that we would work in tandem with one another, Lord, that you would remove every limitation, remove every stronghold from our minds, help us to walk in wholeness, in victory, Father, that, Lord, we would take steps today, difficult steps, challenging steps, but steps that will bring us to deeper levels of freedom, deeper levels of victory, deeper levels of deliverance, and ultimately deeper levels of joy found in you and you alone, Lord, because we are part of your body. What an honor, what a privilege, Lord. We give you all the glory, we give you all the honor, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God.